Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Welcome to this special Highways Voices podcast, where we hear from local authorities about the challenge they face in their day-to-day management of their networks, and how they might be able to deliver solutions. Obviously, you're going to go somewhere where you get a better job, but... As a council, we spend all this time training someone, spending the effort and the money, and get paid twice as much going anywhere else. We need to raise the the pay um, so that it does get people interested and stay and get that retention of people staying and getting interested in traffic signals. So the question is, can you deliver the project? Might deliver perfectly, do all the right things, but if it's not got the right attachments to it in terms of the, the board members seeing or DFT seeing that actually this delivers this result and we're talking about and shouting about it um, and telling the world about it, then the next bit of funding doesn't follow. The site went down all day, completely bust. Couldn't we do it, couldn't fix it, had to dig everything up. After that, we now have the ZAR project, which is the asset renewal project in York. So every year we do X amount of sites. I mean, next year, excellent sites, and this is being told that it will go on forever. I was pleased to be invited to the Swaco User Group meeting in Coventry to host their panel discussion about industry challenges. And you'll hear the opinions of representatives from Staffordshire, Derbyshire and the City of York, plus Swaco's MD, on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So 30 local authorities from across the country were represented in Coventry at the two-day Swaco User Group meeting. And as I say, I was asked along to host their panel discussion on the challenges facing the industry which pretty much kicked off the event. We welcomed four people onto our panel David Hilton Barber from Derbyshire, Emily Madsen of Staffordshire County Council, Sean Bulmer from the City of York and Swarco's MD John Pickworth. But we involved the whole audience in setting the agenda by suggesting a range of issues that they might be facing in their jobs, from skills and resources through active travel and bus priority to environmental issues around EV charging, pollution monitoring and energy use and equipment obsolescence and budget and funding. We took a poll from around the dozen different issues we offered, which they found to be the most challenging, and it was finding the next generation of staff that topped the poll, with more than four out of five identifying skills as an issue. Now, before we start, the audio from the chat can be quite echoey, but do stick with it because the content is great. And it starts with Emily Madsen of Staffordshire talking about recruitment and retention in her county. What we've done at Staffordshire is we've had to do um, a succession plan, So, and I'll come through that as well. So I came into the industry six years ago and I came in as a technical assistant and then worked my way up. Um, and that's what we're still doing now. We, we find that we can't go out and recruit someone with the skills. Um, we've got to we've got to um, train them, um, which obviously is very time consuming um, to get them to that that point. Um, so yeah, I don't think we've actually ever, well, in the last six years that I've been there, actually recruited for anyone at that calibre because we just know that it's not out there. David, I guess we're all struggling with this, but it's not just within our industry. We've also got issues with our procurement teams, our financial resource teams, our legal support when we're trying to do some of this work, uh, which is a struggle. What what we're doing within Derbyshire is, um, which is going back to the basics. We've got a very good graduate program started up again. We've got probably thirty graduates that are 
currently going through the process this week that we're hoping to bring in again at the bottom. Um, and then to supplement that, we're putting together a professional services contract with um, a support company at the moment, which will be starting in September. Uh, they will provide resources into our highways department that will come and sit within the teams. Um, hopefully these will be experienced resources that can then help upskill the staff that we have currently. Um, hopefully not to poach them, but um, they, they may stay on and then if we can bring the graduates through, we've kind of got, got that process rolling. Sure. Just on that, that's one big issue we have is people being poached. Obviously you're going to go somewhere where you get a better job, but as a council we spend all this time training someone, spending the effort and the money and get paid twice as much going anywhere else. <laughs> um, so that's one of the major issues we have. We tend to take in apprentices now and bring them on at a very low level. Uh, I think we've taken six on in the last couple of years and we train them up and put them in positions that they feel suited to. And does that mean that actually you talk about apprentices, it, it, over the last sort of 25, 30 years there's been this aim to get more and more graduates in. Actually, are you better off getting people at, say, 18 when they're leaving sixth form rather than them coming in with a large student debt three, four years later? So, yeah, we found that a better solution for us. We're a smaller authority. We don't have the reach. We obviously have a um, very good university, York University, very good de uh, technical department there. The issue is a lot of our students don't want to be going into debt and going into university. They want a job now. And we pay a bit more than an apprentice. We don't, we don't give them apprentice money because we are giving them a job. And we're just training them up from 18. John, where does the private sector come in to assist local authorities? Because potentially you could argue that, you know, Staffordshire and Derbyshire, can they share resources, can they share personnel to deliver solutions between them? I think the first thing I'll say is that the, the challenges you've talked about are exactly the same in the private sector. Retention is the number one. Can we keep the people we're investing in? Can we keep the, um, um, the skills in our business? Uh, that's harder when you're going through lots of change and your organisations are doing, doing similar things. You know, when you're trying to grow your organisation and change, do, can you re retain that culture and retain the people in the same way to actually grow them within? And like you say, when you've invested in training them, if they're then the market saying, okay, you can get X thousand more, what's to keep them there? So that for me links into a, a, a kind of a, a loyalty question. So how do you create brand loyalty to your organization or to your, um, to your business so that people want to work for you and want to retain there and see their future, which is all that. Um, in terms of your specific question about um, sharing resources, I think on a, on a product level, it's relatively easy. On a service delivery level, it's much harder. Um, what we find is that you, you kind of need to have a, you know, a, a, an element of dedication to, to, the, to the role that you're supporting and to make sure that that, uh, that commitment is there. And some of the challenges we've had, speaking with David and Derbyshire and so on, is when you, when you either lose a, a specific resource, how are you demonstrating you've got that succession? How are you demonstrating you've got that skills retention? And actually having to put more into it, not, not less, and spreading people gets actually harder and harder in doing that. But I think our themes are actually the same across the board. You know, there's no question that um, recruitment is a, is a nightmare at the moment, um, which, which really just sells one thing, that you've got to retain your people, grow your people, um, and put your effort there. See, it's interesting, just chatting in the bar last night to different people, and it was, how did you get into the industry? 
and everybody fell into the industry but when they got into it they found it really fun and they really enjoy it they find it really rewarding how can we get that message across to people so that they can realize that they don't necessarily have to fall into the industry it's actually an industry they can aspire to and aim to join and how can we make kind of highways and transport sexy <laughs> I'll have a go at this one, but uh, <laughs> it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, you look at the, the demographic, you're going to the different conferences each year, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, not, it's not a secret that it's generally an older industry that we're in, um, and, and that's across the board within local authorities as well. It's how do you engage with those young people, um, and how do you, you know, show them the fun side? And I guess part of it's got, got to come through some sort of social marketing, and I think the industry or, you know, DFT, someone needs to step forward and, and sort of take that on and maybe some sort of media campaign around, you know, how much fun can you have with set traffic lights? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it, can, it can be interesting. It's very interesting. It's, it's, it's about engaging with people and um, I suppose part of the apprenticeships and the, the, the graduate programmes as well is ensuring that when we are bringing them in that we're, you know, not losing them off to just civils or, or something else, but showing them that you know, it is interesting in our area and um, yeah, we can have a lot of fun. There is that public-private question over, uh, over all of this. Do you think that uh, you know, there is a, a, a major sort of divide between the two or do you think that actually that may be overblown? I think when I, when I was going through my dissertation this came up quite a lot and um, I, I feel like what, what I got from it was that the private sector pay more so I think that was more of a draw to people so uh, from what people were telling me they were losing they, they, that retention going back to that retention they were losing people because of people going to the private sector I don't think you can say that either's better than the other because they've both got pros and cons um, like, like for me the annual leave alone with the public sector is just brilliant. Um, so, yeah, and, and the flexibility in it. I mean, I know a lot of companies now are offering more flexible working. Um, but, you know, being a mum of two and being able to go and drop my kids off at school, I know when I worked for a private firm, I needed to be there at like 8 o'clock and I couldn't leave until 5. And I, I do know that that's getting a lot, a lot better. Um, but, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say, I mean, I prefer working for a public sector obviously but I, I suppose there's loads more I bet you would turn around and say you know it's better working for a private sector I, I, you know it, it's, it's a massive divide isn't it um, but I think yeah going back to that retention I think that's where um, it was found that a lot of people are losing the staff because they're going out to try and earn more money and it goes back to that are we are we grading our staff correctly in authorities I, I think from my point of view the Traditionally, I think there's been quite a different form of skill base because the way you're developed in the private sector is slightly different to how you're developed, I think, in the, in the public sector. I think there are different metrics, different things. It's much more transparent, I think, actually, in the, in the public sector than the private sector. Um, in the private, it tends to be a little bit more. If you, if you shout, you put, your, put yourself forward, and if you get a bit lucky, actually, with some of the projects you take on, it tends to give you a pretty rapid boost through the organisation, whereas in the public sector you're clearly driven by a pace scale and a very very step-by-step -step process to do that so I think I think it's important to recognize that there are those slight differences in approach and how you get in there but I also think they're coming closer together 
the more innovative you're getting in the in the um, public sector, um, the more flexible nature of it. We're doing exactly the same, trying to be flexible in the right way. Um, so they are they are coming together, which should actually enable more crossover of skills from one to the other rather than less. And we should try and encourage that because it actually is great to see both sides um, and see how things operate and it helps with the collaboration. I think we find that a lot. You know, we'll get apprentices in and, and they'll they'll look at traffic signals, but then they can go and earn more money doing signals. So I think that's the issue that we've got, and um, that that kind of ties into another thought that I've wrote down about we haven't got enough budget for staff, um, so they're not graded correctly. Um, we haven't got enough people in our team um, to kind of do all this work. So I think it's it's something that we need to raise internally with our senior leadership teams to kind of say, look, you know, we need to we need to raise the, the pay um, so that it does get people interested and stay and get that retention of people staying and getting interested in traffic signals. Because, of course, the better public sector pension is not going to be something that's selling to somebody who's in their early 20s who's not going to be thinking of retirement. Um, so you've got to find other ways and actually, yeah, more money. But, you know, ha have you tried? How do you get more money into your budget? Um, I've actually um, just done a benchmarking exercise with the Midland Service Improvements Group just to kind of see what other authorities are, are grading their salaries at and how many people they've got in their team. So again, I've got, I haven't done that yet but because of time, obviously, and resource. Um, but yeah, I'd like to take that to our senior leadership team. So look, this is how many people that we need um, within, uh, within, within our team. Let's just stick to funding. Now, it's slightly further down the list. Shorter funding cycles, 41% uh, of people put that in their top five in the room. So when you look at um, funding, how hard is it and what have you done to try and improve the situation when you when you're always fighting for limited amounts of budget against schools social uh, care etc york our transport team is all funded from capital projects um, it's the only way we can fund our staffing it's the only way we can fund our projects um, and going out finding funding bids is a big part of our job. We spend a lot of time doing that because if we didn't, we wouldn't have a job. <laughs> there would be one person hired to do the statutory requirements and that would be it. Luckily, we've um, done a reshuffle recently and it's been approved that we're going to double our workforce in the transport just because we've been so successful at funding bids and getting money into the council and showing we're doing well. Yeah. Um, that's the only way we can do it, is show we have a track record. I think for, for local authorities as well, it's about getting the, uh, the councillors on board. Unfortunately, they're the sort of main stakeholder with the power, really. And if we can get them engaged and excited about the work that we're doing um, and show them the benefit that they can then you know, show their, their constituents, then we're much more likely to get that support for, for funding. Yeah, And from our point of view as well, it's um, thinking about the, the, the long-term plan you know, and what is that vision. So I think, and it comes all the way back to not just the funding, but the recruitment piece as well. If you can demonstrate a clear vision of this is where we're going, this is where we're trying to get to, that maps to the people, it maps to the projects, which you can say, look at this exciting project, we're not necessarily bleeding, but you know, you're leading on aspects of the way there. And then that, that creates that attractiveness in terms of some of the things we're doing. We have a kind of a debate internally. Some, some parts of the business will be much more comfortable doing um, the base core projects that are, that are safe and, and, are, and, are, um, and are ready, relatively steady but relatively known. And other parts of the business have to we push themselves into the innovation space, which can be higher risk. 
and sometimes the reward isn't there. So you have to create reward on the, the fun, innovative projects to make them interesting and so on and do that. But then, then when you're reporting to the boards, you've got to be able to say, OK, well, has that investment in that delivered the output and the results you want? And that's where I think the, the collaboration has to come through to map the two together. Well, it came up in uh, some of the feedback that, uh, that was given that actually that's one of the issues facing the industry. And I remember talking to a transport modelling company who um, they, would, they would model what they expected a new project to, to do, but we never quite got the before and after. So they never had the proof that in the same way as if I would say to you, I can predict accurately the Premier League football results, the way I would do that is to write them down, put them in an envelope, hand them to you, we'd watch all the results come in, we'd open the envelope and we'd see whether or not I was any good, and then you might believe in me and decide to buy my brilliant algorithm or not. With a lot of what we have here, I've, I've realised this, and with the Transport Technology Forum um, traffic signals funding that they've got, they've, they've now started actually looking, and Hertfordshire have done a project to, to look at the before and after and find that yes, we've made improvements to our signals and our signals are now running far more efficiently than they were. The traffic is running far more efficiently thanks to the money that we got. It's actually paid for itself and then some. How do we do, and how do you actually have the time to do the before and after, so you're almost building that business case for next time you need the funding? Uh, I, I don't think you do have the time and the resource. I think you have to buy that in, unfortunately, at the moment. So where, we, where you've got these innovative projects coming along that you're trying to, to resource, I think you need to sort of factor that in. We're, we're quite fortunate to have a budget that we can use for that. Um, and it's like you're saying, it's very important to, um, to do that and to build on that wave of success that you've had with projects and that's how you, you get that continued support from your stakeholders and that continued investment. Um, and then you've, you've just got to keep proving yourself, haven't you, I guess. Our STEP project, funded by the DFT, helps challenges on this. We record all our traffic data now. We know exactly what speed that vehicle went at 202. Uh, we put that into our real-time model, we can predict. And then in the future, we can also show how it was and what improvements we've done. This, it's a data, data analytics, that's all it is. It's an ITC project. John, is it something that actually, okay, so you're the supplier and uh, the authorities are the client, but actually it's teamwork because you're not necessarily building a business case for, uh, for David, for Emily and for Sean. You're actually building a business case for their bosses. So it's a collaboration between you because, yes, they want the product. So between you, you've got to work out how to, uh, to, to prove it's necessary. Yes, um, but an important aspect of that is to understand what skills you need in the project team to deliver that because there's a very core technical skill in delivering the project. But actually, it might be that the, what you actually need as well is some support on how are you going to send the right messages up through the system and what, what are your stakeholders and who are you trying to answer what question for. So the question, can you deliver the project, might deliver perfectly, do all the right things, but if it's not got the right attachments to it in terms of the, the board members seeing or DFT seeing that actually this delivers this result and we're talking about and shouting about it um, and telling the world about it, then the next bit of funding doesn't follow. So you have to understand how are you connecting the, the project to the money, I think. Let's move on because we've got lots of other um, things that are, are bugging you that are your challenges in, in day-to-day work. And equipment obsolescence is up there. Uh, Two-thirds of the room uh, rated that as one of the key things that is a challenge. Um, 
that that's forever surely going to be an issue when you've got roads that are built for decades but technology that is changing so rapidly obsolescence for me is, is um, a big one um, so we, we we're not even i think we're about two-thirds of the way through our halogen upgrade at the moment um, so that's the biggest one for us um, and it, it, i was saying on that table before it's it's, it's like a, a massive circle with, um, we ain't got enough budget to do it, we ain't got enough resource to do it. Even if we had the budget to do it, we won't be able to physically deliver it because we haven't got enough resource. It's just, it's a massive battle for us. It's as if, I mean, we're saying, it's as if we need to kind of pause time so that we can, you know, catch up with things. Um, and, and then for us, we, we're getting more and more assets on the highway because there's more developments going on. Um, so the network needs to obviously get better to kind of to handle the amount of um, traffic that's going on there. So I've got more equipment out there that I need to maintain. Um, so and we were also saying that um, it, we've, it's always more reactive than proactive. So that we can't ever plan, you know, what we're doing. We've just got to react to things that's happening. Um, so yes, yeah, so we, we can never really get round to it, those core issues of obsolete equipment because we just we chase them at all all the time. But surely there's a, a risk that one day an entire junction in Stafford is just going to go off and you're then going to be hauled over the coals for, for why that's happened. Uh, you know, it, will it take something like that somewhere, a massive gridlock for uh, those higher up the food chain to actually take it seriously? Probably, yeah. Um, I, th I think it goes back to the management of... of like, so for me, for instance, it's, a, it's about making our senior leadership team aware that these issues are happening so that we can get them more money, more money and we can get more resource. But it's, it's time to, you know, to put this business case forward. So I actually quite liked what you were saying about Swarco helping us with that, you know, to kind of build this business case that we can put forward to say, look, these are the efficiencies that we're going to gain. Um, and yeah, then they'll just miraculously give us loads more people and loads more money. So that exact example happened in York five years ago. Um, site went down, all day, completely bust. Couldn't redo it, couldn't fix it, had to dig everything up. After that, we now have the ZAR project, which is the asset renewal project in York. So every year we do X amount of sites, and then next year X amount of sites, and this is being told that it will go on forever. I don't expect that, but <laughs> I expect next election it might stop again. One thought, one thing to add is that you know, this is why the industry bodies exist as well. So you have like um, ARTSM, things like this, um, where you should be able to bring your, your challenge there to the table and then we, that we and the ARTSM and the industry as a whole should be able to support you on those decisions. Uh, we did something last year around the halogen piece and then we did it at, um, at the user groups and at different bits where we're actually talking about and trying to raise the industry all the way to DOT. Look, this is a big problem. It's not going to go away. You're going to have to support it. Um, and we're going to have to actually actually get this done and get it moving. So I think you have to really try and lean on those groups and get the power behind those, which is exactly why they're, why they're there to push that. I suppose it all comes back down to data as well. I don't think the industry's been particularly good at showing the effect that the equipment has. So when we have got a day of gridlock, you know, phone calls and all the rest of it. But now that the now that we've got the national quantified data in terms of loss of time, um, loss of revenue for logistics companies, all these sorts of things, you can start building that into your business case and say, well, this is the effect 
um, you know, in three years' time, we're going to need this much money for the, for the assets. Otherwise, you know, this is likely outcome that you'll face. Then they'll have to put that into their risk profile for the uh, for the department. Is this part of the issue that anything that you do, everything is a cost, and therefore it's kind of the fairy gold that goes into the the overall societal benefit, but you're not necessarily uh, noticed for it. And, and similarly, you never notice non-events. That was one of the issues uh, about smart motorways, was that nobody ever noticed when they were driving along a four-lane road that had been widened and given extra capacity relatively um, cost-effectively. Uh, they only noticed it when it went wrong. Is, is that one of the issues that we're facing, that people expect it to be great and they only notice it when it isn't? Yeah, I think so. And, and it, it's, but it's not just this issue, is it? It's within highways itself. You're not just um, sort of competing budgets with, uh, with other directorates. You're competing against you know, the winter maintenance, the potholes, which are a lot more in, in the eyesight of the councillors, and that's what they're getting hassled about day to day. So you're, you're completely right, and I've often thought, and uh, this has been recorded, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, if you were to adjust all the timings and all your signals um, in a negative way, and have a look and just sort of show that this is the data, this is what you know could possibly happen, um, you know, it might be a useful, useful thing to look at. It goes back to what you're saying about a Hertfordshire dealer before and afters um, kind of comparison data. Um, and we were, we were talking on our table about um, Astrid um, and the data that you can get from Astrid. Um, and again, it goes back to, I'd love to be able to use that, but again, we haven't got the time or resource to be able to do that. Um, but it's, it's a valuable tool that is for, for me to be able to show, um, this is what you look like before, this is what you look like after. Um, give me some more money to improve the rest of the network, um, you know, and we won't get all these issues that we'll be facing around the counter. So, yeah, I think I think that's a really big thing to be able to show out, um, in, well, internally within your authorities, um, you know, to highlight the, the benefits of it. I was just going to pick up on, like you said, proving a non-issue, uh, a non-issue to people is incredibly hard. Um, York gets told that we're changing the timings negatively every day for <laughs> traffic users um, and we are doing it on purpose to make everyone's journey audible. So, that's all. <laughs> well that moves us on actually to what I find quite interesting is that the room hasn't focused, as I maybe thought it might have done, on challenges around the environment and challenges around those things that were on our list, active travel, pollution monitoring, um, EV charging, etc, etc. So am I going to say that actually that's all a walk in the park and dead easy? No, not at all. Um, the environmental issue for small cities like York is incredibly hard to, to manage. We, we can't push vehicles away from certain areas easily. Um, saying that, we are pedestrianising our whole city centre and stopping all vehicles, which isn't going down well. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we're trying, obviously, to uh, mitigate some issues. We've got EV charging hubs on the edge of York. Uh, we're putting charges in all of our city centre car parks. Um, but that's only part of the, 
response, I believe, so mm -hmm. there's lots to do, and I don't know what the answer there. Those of us that are of a certain age remember VHS and Betamax, and it seems that the world hasn't really learned from that, because I'm sitting here using a Mac, and therefore if I try and use a PC, I am absolutely useless, and people are vice versa on this. And you talk about the, the charging in York, you've got that massive state-of-the-art sort of industry-leading uh, charging hub just on the edge of the city that you don't necessarily see elsewhere. How much actual uh, local policy and how much should it actually be a national policy that, look, this is what we've worked out works, this is how we should do it, rather than or is it better to let local authorities decide how best to do it in their area? Yeah, uh, it, it's probably more local. Um, national basis, they can have an overriding response, but it's locally based. What works for us will not work for other cities. Um, we are not doing any on-street charging. We, we can't, due to our infrastructure, um, and we don't think it's viable. Um, but other cities are. Other cities are doing lots of on-street charging outside residential properties. Great, but uh, it doesn't work for us. We're sitting exactly in a city where they're doing a huge amount of it. They're very industry-leading here in Coventry. John, did you want to pick up? Yeah, just to say that um, if, if, you, if you bring it all into the centre, you also reduce a lot of the innovation around it. And one of the advantages you have of keeping it local is that you can actually people who are passionate about doing something about making a difference and making these changes who do understand the local environment um, the local needs can actually make that happen in a way that works locally and I think no matter what we do we have to try and keep that local focus and drive and innovation and push um, in order to make these sort of things really push forward rather than being tempted to centralise. I think sustainability um, and those sort of areas are not necessarily dealt with in local authorities by the teams that will be sat here as well. They'll, they'll usually bring in a, um, a separate team to deal with to deal with those issues, and that's where you need someone coordinating the work um, as best you can. And I think that's where the data side comes in to bring everything together. In terms of what you were saying about what works here and you know could work there. I think that's something that we would like to see in some of those grants when they're coming out saying, you know, here's some money, but also here are some projects that we think have worked quite well in these areas as an example. And then as a local engineer, you can sort of look at those and then say what's going to work or not work necessarily within, within your area. And over, well, since COVID, how has the much quicker than expected focus on active travel changed the way you do your jobs on a day-to-day -day basis? It's interesting on this. Um, it's the prioritisation, isn't it? So essentially we are prioritising cycles. Uh, the way that we design and build has changed. So our processes, our design manuals, our specifications have changed to match chapter six and to match what's coming out of um, active travel. It's, um, it's always difficult though, isn't it? Because you, you've, you're prioritising traffic on a congested route and you're you know losing that for cars and everyone else uh, which which makes things quite difficult so we, we often get schemes going in that then get pulled out a year or two later and you can see that nationally as well so for us in Staffordshire um, we have some like active travel schemes that have been done um, but for me it's not a massive priority um, and it goes back to that that list of priorities that I've got to do and that's not one of my priorities right now so yeah we get projects come in and, and they get done 
Um, and then we get, it goes in the local papers saying, oh, why have you put this in? We don't need it in a rural county. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, so, so we get all that backlash. Um, but yeah, from a traffic signals point of view, it's what David was saying before, it's, it's not really targeted at my team, it's more, it's more the sustainable teams or um, like we've got an active travel team, so they're kind of dealing with that and then it just gets lumped on us when it goes in a project, so we don't really have much say in it to be honest at the moment. But I feel like we need to be more collaborative across the, like the department um, so that we're getting it right. Um, but again, it's that time and resource that we haven't got. Again, York's slightly different. We've got Active Travel England in our council building now. Um, so there's a lot of pressure coming from them to do a lot more. We do a few Active Travel programmes. We've got a large one on the Tedcaster Road at the moment. Um, but again, yeah, we are getting more pressure as they're in the building to show that we're doing more. That's all about the coordination and the communication, isn't it? Again, we keep talking and coming back to that. But when you have problems and we have exactly the same in the private sector if you're in a silo and you're trying to achieve a project and the outcomes of that project and you're trying to do it on your own you generally fail it doesn't doesn't really work and you get gazumped by something else that comes along and surprises you so i think the importance of finding this these communication whether through through project boards getting engagement from senior management and execs all the way through understanding why you're trying to connect these things together and what the synergies are um, enables the success of pulling those through. So again, understanding your stakeholders, getting their buy-in and showing how it all links together I think is really important. Just very quickly to add on to that. Yeah, we, we did something quite similar about a year ago in, in terms of just writing a new policy that tried to cover all the new technologies that were coming through. Um, mm. We pushed that through with, with senior uh, leadership and because of that when these teams are coming in, if they just do a quick search on whatever it is they're supposed to be doing, active travel, cycle routes, you know, it'll pop up that policy um, and then they know who to contact uh, and sort of helps with that communication a bit. And talking of funding, I mean, the, I've spoken to your overall boss CEO of uh, Swarco, Michael Shush, and there's a company that uh, provides uh, act, uh, the, the solar road studs in the UK, for example, that both have picked up on an issue that, in fact, quite a lot of products span different solutions. So you get, the, the reason mentioned solar road studs is because not only are they a road safety product, but they also uh, mean you can switch off uh, street lighting and save electricity, so therefore there's a, a, a budget saving and there's a CO2 improvement. On their own, they might not quite tick the box for road safety, for example, or they might not quite tick the box for environmental. But if a little bit of the budget pot from both were used, you could then ju justify putting them in. And there must be a load of products you've got, John, which, which deliver on so many different um, aspects of transport, yet if you don't have that holistic view, you're not necessarily going to, uh, to, to actually get the buy-in. No, that's right, but I think it's actually our job to try and join that together. So this is where the difference between selling a product and trying to work with a customer to define and to deliver a solution comes in. So if you're selling a product, you're selling a road stud, or you're selling a sign, or you're selling a street lighting, whatever it might be. But if you're trying to selling a solution, you're trying to understand what is that problem, what is the agenda of the council or the area, what are, the, what are their problems and then how are we trying to address those with the solution and that's, that's, that's work I think we have to do to try and bring that together and then get, get with you guys to actually work through how those solutions come together. 
going back to that policy that we set up, we also set up a board on the back of that policy that looks at these sort of connected, well, it's called connected futures, that, um, that section. So it is trying to um, sort of bring those projects together where there is going to be crossover. Um, so we have essentially the data team will look at everything across the council um, and then we will connect that with our IT and procurement to check that there aren't other projects similar ones that are happening that um, could be covered under the same same sort of room. I just want to wrap up by asking, I, at times I've kind of almost come across a little bit ill, a little bit gloomy about all of this and oh well this is an issue and this is an issue and you know it's us against the world type thing but actually on the whole are you despite some of the challenges optimistic that you can deliver what you need to deliver and that you've got the resources and at least support among uh, colleagues in other parts of the country and in the private sector for example to actually make your job as easy as it can be and as you look around your colleagues in your own authority in different departments if you had to pick out a job out of a hat, all the jobs went in there and you picked it out, would you want to pick your own one out again? It's recorded. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's the problem, isn't it? Um, no, I think I, think I would. I, I, think we, I think we're heading in a, into a very good era with ITS, with um, the connected autonomous vehicles coming, the, uh, the active travel, and the fact that, you know, nationally we're starting to understand that, you know, data is very important and we have the backbone within the local authorities to help manage the network um, and provide information for the network. So I think I'm not too worried about the resources at the moment because we can get that resource in, but you've just got to be quite clever in the way that you're um, asking for money and the pots of money that you're bidding for and understanding that we're not just traffic signals anymore. Mm. We can be bidding into all sorts of other funding and we have the infrastructure out there on the network to provide support or provide that backbone for these other technologies that are coming along um, and as long as we're sort of promoting that within our authorities I, I think we're going to be okay. I love my job so like, I would definitely pick my job out of anyone else's in the authority. Um, I think it goes back to that collaborative working and like working in a silo. I think we need to we need to break down that barrier and stop working in silo. And we need to work more more with other uh, teams across the department and join, have that joined up working. Um, like little things for me, um, we'll we'll have our pothole gang go out and do something right next to a traffic signal. And it's like, well, why didn't we just do that together? So if, so if we had some work the next week, why didn't we just do it together? And it's, it's that joined up working approach across the authority. Um, and, and as I said, we just need to make sure that we know across the authority because traf traffic signals, especially in Staffordshire, we get forgotten about all the time. And it's like, we need to make a stance and say, look, we are here, we have got issues as well as everyone else. Um, and we need, we need to make our senior leadership team aware of the issues that we've got going on um, and what, what we can do to solve it and, and fix it, basically. I guess most of you here know Darren Capes. He hired me, called me a magpie. I love my job. I love it because we get to see new tech all the time. Um, I was talking to Rory yesterday about my home servers, my Raspberry Pis. I, I love it. I wouldn't change it. Money was always nice, but <laughs> <laughs> one change my job. I'm, I'm also a magpie, but um, Newcastle United. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think just to reiterate what the guys said there, I think I think we all actually love our jobs. We we feel enabled, we feel empowered to do them, 
Um, we just got to make sure we focus on that, on that, on that what strength we actually have within our own ability to push the, the agenda, to push the new things through. Um, and, and if we do that and keep driving and innovating that with the help of Darren and funding and all the other sorts of things, then I think the whole sector's got a very bright future and look at, don't get too hung up on the problems and actually look at the impact we're making out on the, on the streets where if you just look at the amount of work that's going out there and, and we touch every bit of that as a, as a team. So that's, that's fantastic for me. That's John Pickworth, MD of Swarco, rounding off that excellent panel debate discussing the challenges facing the industry recorded at the Swarco User Group meeting in Coventry and also featuring David Hilton Barber from Derbyshire, Emily Madsen of Staffordshire and Sean Bulmer from the city of York. Well worth making the podcast a little bit longer this week, I'm sure you'll agree. So that's it for today's Highways Voices. Sorry for no Adrian or Partner News this week, but I wanted to use as much material from Coventry as I could. You'll find news about all our partners, that's ADEPT, TTF, Elkrieg and ITS UK on Highways News regularly, of course. And next week, I'll be in Lisbon at the ITS European Congress, chatting to participants on the UK Pavilion and other people at this major event we might even get to chat to an ambassador i'll catch you next wednesday as always here on highways voices highways voices join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry 